John Schuler. <laughs> this is the third. Well, this is One a heavily times. this is a heavily redacted podcast. We do heavily edit this podcast. So uh, <laughs> I just cut right. out all the talk where we disparage everybody and yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. We don't do it. No. No, but but <clears throat> we, do. we do. We do edit this podcast. You know, I see these comments online like we we're not going to edit it. Uneditable discussion and it always makes me laugh because I've listened no. to a few of those unedited discussions and they really should have edited them. What we edit right. out, we don't edit out content unless it's redundant content that we've already talked about and there's no point in playing it again and again and again, which we've we've had some of that. We've had some discussions with people where it's just circular, where the same thing just keeps being talked about for two hours and there's no point in playing it for two hours. But really, 99% of the time, what we're editing out is... Um, uh, the human nature, uh, all of us do it. Yeah. Pauses. Yeah. Exactly. We're yeah. getting rid of all the ums and uhs and all, all the clicks and, you know, whatever. Right. The, the, just the junk that's in the conversation, we edit that out. Everything else, the content, it stays. The discussion, it stays. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's only fair. Yeah. yeah. But we want to make it a enjoyable listening experience. And we do that by editing out the junk. So take a lesson from Joe Rogan, because I know Joe Rogan, they edit their podcast. They record it this day. The guy's working on it overnight. They go and clean it up. They edit it. They publish it the next day. We kind of do the same thing. Absolutely. Well, again, otherwise, they are horrible. It's just impossible Even to listen you, to. We've done enough of those. You, you try to get good at it. But there's still the human nature of the pauses, the ums, the this. And yeah, th those are very difficult to sit and listen to. Yeah, I do it more. I do it way more than you do. When I edit these podcasts, I can see it on uh, the little whatever it is, a sonogram or whatever, where you can see the spikes in the, the audio. I, there's mm -hmm. like a, a visual a visual waveform is what it is that's what I'm thinking of a visual waveform I can see it and I can see every time I go because uh, it's a very distinct <laughs> very distinct and they're all through uh, you know I got like drool coming out of my mouth uh, yeah gotta, gotta get at gotta get rid of those yeah that's funny man so what's that's new funny. John it's been like that's... two and a half weeks let's get this podcast going what do you want to talk about ah uh... Oh, there's so many cool things that happened uh, in the last few weeks. From a concrete point of view, there's been a, a lot of, it seems, I don't know if it's renewed interest. I'm going to call them geopolymer concretes. Um, actually, it's Buddy Rhodes sent me one. I think it was down in, I don't know, you know, South America or something like that, where the where more studies have been done on some of the ancient ruins and found that the what they thought was stone was actually a combination of clay and sodium bicarbonate, which basically is geopolymer concretes. And and again, I'm going to say technically, you've worked quite a bit with geopolymer concretes. It's just that we call it rammed earth, yeah, which is clearly hey, things that stood the test of time. Your audio is a little so, wonky going in and out. Just check your connections. It also could be a bad weather going on too, in California. That's uh, no, we do. Yeah, California. We've. I don't want to get on the weather chat, but yeah, California's been socked for a while now. So. Yeah, does that yeah. sound better? No, you still sound like every now and then. I don't know why. Really? Yeah. Huh. Hmm. No, no idea. I caught my daughters. Remember, I told you like the last podcast, maybe two back. They messed all the knobs, and everything's. Like, yeah. You know when I when I put my headphones in. Well, like mm -hmm. three or four days ago, we have a – so I have this set up on our dining table because nobody uses our dining table. The dining table is where it's to catch all for everything, right? So I have yep. the computer and this audio stuff set up on the dining table. We had a, a vase, a vase, a vase, whatever you want to call it, with uh, tulips in it and water. Well, my three-year-old, soon to be a four-year-old, climbs up on the table and my wife and I are in the kitchen and we hear our five-year-old yell – uh, Ursula knocked over the water. And I come running in. She knocked the vase over and went all over my computer. It's like, I don't know, two or three quarts of water all over my computer, all over the audio equipment. Everything that was sitting right there, she just doused it. Oops. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, so, but luckily I just, I was like, I'm just gonna let it set for like three or four days. Let it dry out. It'll probably be all right. And it is. At least I think That's it good. is. Yeah. That's good. Anyways, I digress. 
No, so I was like, I mean, I wouldn't say that's anything new, but we could have an inch. I mean, we talk about concrete, geopolymer concrete. Well, what is a geopolymer, John? Can you give a, a very, you know, people like to speak in plain speak, so to speak. Can you give a layman's term explanation? Not like it. I don't want to hear like an engineer's explanation, like some convoluted explanation. I want to hear plain speak. Well, to me, the, the simplest way of describing a geopolymer concrete is a type of, let's say, cement and stone combination that's not actually utilizing Portland cement. Hmm. I, I mean, see. that's the simplest way of looking at it, where they've taken some something that has binder potential, like clay. I mean, kaolin clays and, and various versions of clays. And then with those, you'd mix them with something like the old days could be something along the lines of volcanic ash or in this case, soda ash, which is a sodium carbonate or something with a high pH like um, and that's a lot of them. You know, we didn't have uh, silicate technologies back then. So a lot of like potassium silicates used a lot now. But I mean, basically that's that's and it's a it's a huge, huge range of things. And it's things that created a binder during a time in human history that Portland cement wasn't available. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you mentioned rammed earth and there are types of rammed earth, specifically unstabilized rammed earth for the most part, which doesn't use Portland cement, that would fall more into that category. I specialize in stabilized rammed earth, although I am working on a project in May that's unstabilized, or at least that's the direction they want to take it right now, which would be relying on the clay in the soil to, right. uh, to, to help be the binder. But I personally what I've done and what I've done for clients to date has all been stabilized. True. Uh, all I'm saying is, you know, that if you look back on the history, you know, rammed earth, I'm just using that as the example. Rammed earth has been a, a way of building for a very long time in parts of the world. If we go back, I don't know how many hundreds of years. Oh, thousands. It's the oldest, thousands. It's the oldest years. form of construction known to man. Yeah, that's what Rammed I'm saying. Yeah. So, I mean, it was clearly done at a time well before Lafarge was, you know, melting limestone, you know, creating clinkers and grinding it into a powder and et cetera, et cetera. So if we go back in all, go back thousands of years I would say, you know, that's when the information evolved around versions of what we would call geopolymer cements. Gotcha. Today, today we refer to them as geopolymer cements. So, yeah, and they're great. I mean, I, I was just talking, I can't remember her name now. So if she listens to the podcast, I apologize that I don't remember you. But just, I don't know, a few weeks ago, maybe longer, the way time flies, I had somebody contacting me about just that, the use of using some kaolin clay and uh, she was trying to use sodium hydroxide as the kicker. And I was like, Hey, you know, maybe you want to look at like a um, potassium silicate instead and uh, to, to, as an activation process and very much into geopolymers. There was, gosh, if I don't, there was a company a ways back. In fact, I think Mark Selabuski and Trinic tried distributing their product for a little while that was trying to use a cement very much along that lines. And, you know, I'm going to say a green cement. The problem just is that comparatively speaking, your geopolymer cements kick so quickly trying to support an infrastructure to move that stuff around is, is as we all found out in the history, it's, it's just not viable. They could be done in place very well but they kick way too quickly. I mean, you're talking 15, 20 minutes tops. So you're never going to put that in a truck and drive it 40 miles to, you know, build someone's uh, foundation or something. So anyway, or the various other things we do with concrete, Portland cement based concrete. True. Some people like to liken what I do, speaking of concrete, uh, with a rammed earth as a dry rammed concrete instead of rammed earth, which, you know, I can see how that argument could be made because we're using subsoils from the region and then Portland cement and water and we're ramming it and essentially we're making mm -hmm. a very weak concrete and we're ramming it as the placement versus pouring so it's not fluid but you know there's there's arguments for either or but the walls 
thermally act different. The acoustics are amazing. And it really is the aesthetic of the wall. No, the, they're amazing. Yeah, yeah they're the mass of the walls is what I love, the thermal mass of it. But just they feel ancient when you're in a Rambert space. The walls just feel like they've been there forever, which I love. Right. No, I 100% agree. I think I told you, as maybe in a podcast sometime, maybe it was personal conversation, just down the road, there was a contractor out here, Hody Houghton. And he did quite a bit of rammed earth and straw bale home, very much into this green building kind of stuff. And he did a, let's say, what you call it, a destabilized version of rammed earth at one of the local wineries here. And although it's, it's beautiful, comparatively speaking, it's not very durable. Yeah. It's one of those walls. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you walk up and they don't want anybody touching the walls because it just kind of Crumbles I hate to off. use the word crumbles. Yes, yeah, but I mean, it sloughs off. Yeah. Yeah, it sloughs off very easily, you know, compared to your stabilized version that, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I'm just going to refer to it as, you know, hard. So you're, let's say, hard pack, dry packing a concrete. It's, it's amazing. It's incredibly durable without using lots of uh, cement and so forth. Well, dude, I have my pressure washers, I want to say 4,000 PSI, maybe higher. And I use a turbo tip on it, the one that spins and increases the, you know, the pressure on it. Yeah, it goes. Yeah. yeah. And even with that, like three inches away, it hardly does anything. Because what happened with me with the rammed earth was I did the wall for my studio, the walls for my studio, and the framer didn't show up for like six months. He's a friend of mine. He used to work for me in Arizona doing concrete. He didn't show up for like six months. And we had like the wettest spring on record. It just rained constantly. And the walls got soaked from the top all the way down. You could see the moisture just absorbed through the walls. And they effloresced. And, you know, had we gotten the roof on six months prior, we wouldn't have had that problem. But mm. we didn't. And so they we had efflorescence. And my my initial instinct was to take a pressure washer to it. Turns out that's the worst thing you can do. You'll never do that. If you got that fluorescence, don't use a pressure washer. Um, but I took a pressure washer to it, and I was like three inches away from the wall, just just going on it, and it hardly did anything to it. Nothing. You know, you do that to a concrete slab because I did it on the concrete blow. Because what happened is I have a concrete stem wall and the efflorescence washed down onto the stem wall. You know, I had all this white residue on the stem wall, so I'm washing that off. But then that like blasted off the top layer of the concrete, which was beautiful as it was cast. And now it's all rough looking. And anyways, the point is the rammed earth, the stabilized rammed earth is insanely strong, insanely yeah, durable. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I don't remember you talking to you about that. I would recommend lithium acetate cleans that. Efflorescence. Well, John, brilliantly. Thanks for nothing, buddy. Because <laughs> I spent days, maybe weeks, pressure washing that thing, only to make it worse. Because I'm pushing water back into it and making it making it happen worse. So I finally figured out that if I took a grinder with a wire brush and just really quick over it, that removed it. Oh no, no, you could have just put lithium acetate in a five gallon bucket with a brush. And you just, son of a bitch. And just. Kind of like scrubbed your walls. Uh, Lithium acetate will dissolves it almost immediately. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of companies out there that using that. If you see something, you know, claim to clean efflorescence and stuff like that, I'm gonna say 99 percent of the time it's a lithium acetate. Yeah. Well. Well, now you know. Now I know, John. Now. So now the next time, yeah, you're ready to rock and roll, buddy. There won't be a next time. I learned my lesson. Uh, you know, so when I did my house, I used the silane admix, which really helped uh, make the walls hydrophobic. So even when water did land on it, it just beat it up. And then I covered the walls until the roof went on. So I just uh, put put uh, plastic along the top of the wall. So when it rained, it didn't absorb in. Lesson learned, man. Yeah. Lesson learned. Fool me once, you know, shame there on you. you. I, there's not going to well, be now twice. That we're talking about it. I just started to think, if any, you know, that's not something I, we would talk about on face. If anybody's interested in... <clears throat> you know, geopolymers, I think they're fantastic. They're, they're so much fun. I just don't see them as they clearly haven't at this point becoming part of mass construction because, yeah, there's no, the infrastructure for it is non-existent. So, but they're, they're super cool for people who want to do it themselves. Yeah. Ola Leninsky was very much into them for a while as well. It doesn't surprise so, me. She's she's yeah. out on the fringe of concrete technology yeah, in a yeah. good way. And she's always like looking at what's out there. Right. And likes to be, 
I hate to use the word green, but you know what I mean? I mean, gosh, man, if, if we can do something that, uh, whatever carbon footprints, you know, all these conversations we had before, they all have their place, but they have been at very small scale though. Very small scale. Yeah. What else but concrete, John? Fun. What else? Uh, concrete related. Well, this is the concrete know. podcast, buddy. <laughs> well, gosh, I'll be honest with you. I'm drawing a blank. I, I mean, know. other than that, I can think there's lots of questions we get on tech support. Like just today, there still seems to be not, I'm not going to go with this question. You know how my mind spins when we start talking. There still seems to be so much misconception or misunderstandings around curing techniques and the kind of curing techniques that not just we recommend. So first I'm going to talk about tech support. I got a call today uh, with a really, really great artisan who his question was, he was doing a two-part mold. So again, like a, he's a vanity, SEC pour, puts the backer mold on. And his question was, you know, would I, in your opinion, John, would I still follow the kind of curing techniques or would, would maybe the backer mold be enough kind of stuff? And, and so my answer to him, oh, and let me explain, because his thought was only a certain amount of the concrete would be exposed, right? Like the hat mold's going to cover everything and maybe this top perimeter is the only part of the concrete that's exposed. And I understood where this question was coming from, but then my answer is like, well, no, because st there's still a reality to this situation. And meaning that I hate the word if, uh, now it just dawned on me, we could take this all kinds of different directions, but if we're trying to achieve, let's say seven to 10 day strengths in 24 hours, you know, 24 to 30 hours, then it doesn't matter how that concrete is, in this case, I'm going to say insulated and heated. There's still what we're trying to do is take that exothermic spike and turn it into a plateau, plateau that maintains a plateau for, let's say, some, as little as 12 to maybe 18 hours. So whether that's got a hat mold on it or covered with insulation with a heat blanket or if it's a deep cast, you just, you know, pack in a bunch of insulating blanket, whatever's done, that still holds true no matter what across the board. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. Get what I'm laying down? Yeah, yeah. You, you want to you trap okay. the heat and let it stay at that high level for as long as possible and let yeah. it just slowly go down. And that's going to increase your density down. and your, your strength yeah. dramatically. Right. Yeah. Which then brought up another question. So I had a conversation with somebody, again, a very, very good artisan who I'm going to say had fairly educated questions about needing or not needing a curing polymer. And so him and I talked, had a great conversation about it. And he's like, John, you know, his first thought was, you know, what have you, what has happened to the Kodiak materials that says that a curing polymer is not needed? Well, I don't really want to go deep into IP. And that's what I told him. I said, but you know, it's, it's not just about the Kodiak materials. So I gave him an example and I'm anybody listening. It's not about having magic ingredients, you know, you ground unicorn horn, or, you know, we plucked enough pixie wings that somehow went into Kodiak. That means we don't need to use a curing polymer. The idea of a, a curing polymer, you know, back with Hiram Ball, EPS, you know, Fortin and so forth and so on, was that achieving seven day strengths. And I know I've talked about this many times on the podcast, but the idea was you didn't have to really cure your concrete. You could get seven day strengths by putting this thing called a curing polymer in there. The, the polymer itself would like create this film and trap the moisture and so forth and so on. And all of that sounds great, but that's only part of the equation. The other part of the equation, which we've talked about, is whatever qualities of that plastic, this acrylic something that you're putting into the concrete, the reason why the tensile strength and some of these other things went up is because the plastic, which 
may ultimately be 3000 PSI and a thousand PSI and tensile strength. You incorporated that into the concrete, giving it part of the concrete character. That's not the actual hydration of the concrete reaching seven day strengths via cement hydration characteristics. It's taking on the nature of the plastic resin that you put into the concrete. And I know we've talked about that a lot. And again, you can stop me at any time, but where I'm going with this is I was telling him, and this is a fact, if we, if you just take basic sacrete and let's, let's say you go to whatever Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever, and you pick up a 3000 PSI concrete pre-blended and you mix it up per the instructions and you follow through with the exact same tape techniques and curing that we've talked about. We know the concrete's going to warm up. You've insulated it. You've trapped it. Instead of just being open to the air where it kind of like goes up and cools right back down and instead create a plateau, you're going to see the same thing. You're going to get about 7 to 10 day strengths in about 12 to 18 hours. So I just want to get it. There's a a misconception out there that these polymers are necessary and they're not. And that somehow, although there is some amazing technologies that's gone into the Kodiak products, that somehow there's some magic ingredients in there is why we're not using them and, and why we've gone a whole different direction. But that's not necessarily true. Or I said, that's not a law of the land. The real law of the land is just proper curing techniques. Yeah. It's not difficult. It's easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason not to cure your concrete properly. I, we've talked about it so many times, but I was one of the people that for whatever reason, I don't know why I pushed back against it for a long time. You mm -hmm. tell me, and I think I pushed back against it because Hiram Ball told me, you put this Forton in your mix, if you have 774, there you go, 24-hour dry cure. You don't need to cover it. You don't need to do anything. It's going to be perfect. And I was like, oh, yes, you know. And I believed it. And you kept telling me to do this. I'm like, nah, eh, it seems like a lot of extra work. It's no extra yeah, work. It takes, it takes three minutes. That's the funny thing. It's like we push back against the stupidest, easiest things that have the biggest impact. But yeah, curing makes a tremendous difference. It doesn't matter if you're using a Trinic mix, a Buddy Rhodes mix, a Kodiak mix, whatever mix you're using, Quickcrete 5000, Sacrete, whatever. Cure it properly and you're going to see increased performance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And what we mean by cure properly, anybody listening, it's back to the same thing. It's, it's not necessarily using heat to warm the concrete. And that's a whole different discussion if that wants to be brought up. It's, it's solely about trapping the heat and turning the spike, which means that warm exothermic spike and cool right back down. You just turn it into a nice plateau and you will get the amount of hydration in a 12 to 18 hour is, and see the strengths out of it that you would normally see at seven to 10 days. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I, I had to pour, you and I talked about this a few days ago because I had to pour a little sidewalk. I broke out a bunch of concrete in front of the shop that, I, that I'm that i remodeling and I had to pour a little sidewalk that goes up to the front door. I just picked up sacrete, 3000 PSI sacrete and mixed it up in a mixer and dumped it and screeded it. And, uh, but it, you know, it was in the fifties, but at night it got down to like 37, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't get to freezing, but it was cold. I didn't cover it. Did it get hard? Right. Yeah, it got hard. I can walk on it. I didn't fall through sure. it. But right. it's not near the same strength and density had I cured it properly. No, yeah. Even if you had put like, they have those curing membranes, right? Yep. Curing seals. Yeah. Um, these kind of things. So That would have helped, but it, it wouldn't have created the exothermic plateau. No. It would have just helped Correct. control evaporation. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. hundred percent. And here's the wild thing to me as we continue to talk about these kind of things. Regardless of who's out there discussing their materials or maybe, you know, training courses or whatever they, whatever. What's interesting is nobody is telling people not to cover your concrete. Meaning, yeah, oh, you don't need plastic and no insulation. Uh, you don't no, do no, any no, no, no. People are saying that. I remember. I don't think so, hold man. Hold on, I, dude. I think who is that? Who is, is that still, dummy that worked at Buddy Rhodes at Salesman? What was that guy's name? 
Oh, um, Ernie. Ernie Dojak. That guy yeah. used to tell people you didn't have to cover yeah. it because they would call us. Yeah. I talked to right. Ernie. Ernie said, I don't need to do all you this don't stuff. You do any of that, yeah. Ernie doesn't do yeah. this, bro. Listen, no. we do this. Don't listen to Ernie. Don't listen to some salesman at, at some company that sells rubber. Like, right. you need to cure your concrete properly. So there are companies out there that do give bad advice. Yeah, maybe, but I... I I don't think there's as many. And so where I'm going with this is I still find it surprising that companies are coming out with, again, integral polymers, liquid polymers, powder polymers, you know, a new down pack product polymer when, I don't know, it seems so counter to the rest of their information because they'll still talk about, you know, covering and insulating your concrete and doing these kind of things, which by default tells you that that the use of that polymer mix is unnecessary. So, I mean, maybe I'm I'm still willing to bring anybody else on the podcast for a great conversation. What are the, and I'm willing to ask this question openly. People can hit me on the forum. I'm totally cool with it or the various Facebook forums. Maybe there's a positive to putting these polymers in a reason for it beyond curing that I'm just, that I'm not grasping. That's possible. I'm willing to say that's possible. So a few things. Number one, the reason people are selling these things is to make money. That's, that's, well, that's true. That's the base reason. If we get down, if you ask why, why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? It's to make money. That's why they're doing it. They're not doing it for the benefit of the person that's buying it. They're doing it for the benefit of themselves. That's the truth. If you ask, what was it like? You ask why five times. That was what Toyota used to do. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so you, then you get to the actual core reason. Polymers, because I used to use polymers. I used to be a huge believer in polymers, you know? It, and at the time, it was the best. Not saying that they were bad, because there was a time when that was the best we had. There wasn't anything else. Right. And so that well, was... Well, we thought, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying Kodiak didn't exist back then. No. A lot of the powdered polymers that were better than the liquid polymers weren't on a market when I first started, or at least they weren't readily available to, to this market segment. And so I was using a liquid polymer, and it foams the mix so badly. It doesn't matter what liquid polymer you use. You can use any liquid polymer, and it's going to foam your mix. And that's going to create millions and millions of little pinholes in your mix that from three feet away, you don't see them. You're like, oh, it looks great. And you get closer. And you're like, oh my God, there's like little pinholes everywhere. Yeah, like a but general then, air entrainment. Yeah. Yeah. And then but like, well, it's concrete. It's the nature of the material. No, it doesn't need to be the nature material. What it is, is an artifact of this product you're putting in that's foaming and, and whipping air into the mix that you don't need. You don't need that product. So you're adding this whole level of just a can of worms that you don't need. And so at the point that you use those products, then really you have to coat it in some kind of plastic to cover all those pinners. Yeah. And so then you're taking an epoxy, a urethane, a polyurea, a whatever, a UV sealer, whatever it is, and you're, you're coating it in plastic because you need to cover those up. And that's what I did. I did that for a lot of years, like probably 10, 12 years of my professional concrete career was spent doing exactly that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But once you move to ICT, then those pinners become more problematic. But if you're able to get rid of them, you take that product out of the equation, then it just it fixes so many things. And like you said, you don't need it. That What they would sell you on is, oh, it's a 24-hour dry cure. It increases color fastness, abrasion resistance, freeze thaw performance, right. blah, 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 strength. Exactly. Yeah. So the benefits they were selling, I'm not certain they were true. Well, I'm willing to, I, you know where I stand on that. As a, as a same person who went hook, line, and sinker of its necessity as an ingredient until, uh, I don't know, I, I forced myself to go, let's really analyze this. And, uh, and then had an, a mass awakening of like, oh, my God. I mean, I didn't feel lied to. I felt like I lied to myself. Well, I think you just bought the marketing from the company selling it and they they have a reason to market it that way because they're selling you this product. And let me, I just want to clarify this again, because it seems to to be lost on people with Kodiak pro, the products that we sell, if a polymer brought benefit 
to the mix, you better believe we'd have a polymer in the mix. Sure. We're not anti-polymer. Polymer didn't hurt me when I was a kid. Polymer didn't kick my dog. Polymer didn't sleep with my wife. I have no vendetta against polymer, okay? Polymer's polymer. I don't care. Polymer does not benefit the mix. Polymer is detrimental to the mix, and that's why we don't have it in Kodiak Pro. Yeah, it's reality time. And it's interesting, the conversations that I get in with people, great conversations, by the way, and we'll look back on the history, you know, of their, their evolution as an artisan, mind you, where they started and where they went. And when we get into these conversations, sometimes they'll go back and they'll bring up some, uh, whatever, some project or something they did somewhere and be like, well, you know, I did this one and, it, you know, it's a lot with the Australians, mainly they use the in situ, like, so cast in place kind of stuff. And they ground it and they use some basic sealing stuff and like, oh my God, those ones are so brilliant. And like, yeah, okay. You know, need some maintenance, but man, they're just so brilliant. And then they get to this part of their career where they just felt like, like everything, not everything, but you know what I mean? Like, gosh, everything I do, I just feel like a failure. What's going on? My, you know, the sealer didn't work. It's too soft. I'm on the sealer of the month club. And I was like, okay, let's look at this, analyze this for a minute. When did this stuff start happening? And oftentimes, much like the rest of it, became part of this evolution when they moved into this concrete with you know, the plastic integral polymers and all this kind of stuff. And then we ran into some problems. The sealers aren't drying fast enough. They scratch easily. And you're chasing whatever your tail. The case yeah, may you're be. chasing your tail. Round and round Ch- you go. Yeah, we yeah. chase our tail, chase our tail. And then, and then the light bulb that we shut off starts, you know, slowly turning the rheostat again going like, and then it comes on like, well, wait a minute, man. Like when, when you know, you and I really started together and I'm like, bro, there's no high-end concrete out there that has polymers in it. Yeah. And let me, I want to say something real quick. When, yeah. when I started Kodiak, we did, or I did, have a powdered polymer in the mix yes. when I first started. And when you came on, we drastically reduced the powdered polymer. Correct. And we were using it as a particle compaction of filler. Yep. We were only using it for the particle size. But Correct. that only stayed like that for a little while. We completely removed it, I don't know, a year ago. Yeah. From the mix. Yeah, it just wasn't necessary because exactly. then, yeah, we took different avenues to get the benefit of what that particular item per where it fit in. And then, you know, it's totally different. So, so anyway, I just, I just wanted to make that clear. If there's any misconceptions out there. Misconception. Miss, uh, I probably slurred it, huh? You said misconception. Um, misconceptions out there that this is not. Super secret ingredients. Um, well, it is super secret ingredients. I well, mean, it is for us, but that's an IP kind of thing. I, I just want to make, <laughs> yeah, that, and, and, and really talking to him, he's like, oh, well, that makes sense, John. You know, I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, again, this is take post hole concrete, you know, it, here's a simple one to anybody. I, I think I've talked about this in the days, you know, when Buddy Rose sold to smooth on and the, the few weeks that I stopped was there talking to everybody and we specifically did a curing. So take, go pick up your basic of basic, basic, make two molds. Okay. Pour basic, one basic into one. mix. Yeah. Mix. Okay. Yeah. You're okay. like a postal concrete. I mean, I'm just saying it, yeah. something simple. Yeah. Go to, go to get the crappiest, sense. cheapest concrete they got. Yeah. Okay. It'll still make sense. Yeah. You know, cast that two molds, put one mold aside and don't do anything with it and take one mold and cover it and cure it per the recommendations. And then it'll be obvious. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be obvious. Yeah. One, you'll still be able to scratch with your fingernail. Like what the heck's going on here? And the other one, you'd have to take a sledgehammer to because you dramatically increase the hydration profile in that cure window compared to the one you didn't cure. Well, a couple that, of things. That's really all there is to Resonance, it. you can tap on it and you'll hear the difference, but weigh them. Totally. If you're if you're precise with what you poured into and it's big enough that you can see a noticeable difference, the one cured properly will be heavier right. than the one uh, not cured properly. Absolutely. Because that yeah. water doesn't evaporate out of the mix if it's cured properly. It becomes part of the crystalline structure structure of the concrete. 
But right. if you don't cure properly, then it finds its way out of the system and it leaves millions and millions of little capillaries through the concrete. These air voids throughout it makes weaker concrete, makes more absorbent concrete that staining agents can get into. Correct. And uh, so if you cure it properly, you will have, if you put it on a, on a sensitive scale, depending on how big, I mean, the bigger pieces you do, you don't need a sensitive scale. But um, you cure it properly, you'll see a big difference. A dramatic difference. And when it comes to the, which whatever version of polymer someone's sticking in their mix, powder, liquid, whatever. If anybody talks to me, the, the number one, I'll say it, it's, you're throwing a wild card in there. Just as much as if I went down to whatever, Sherman Williams and picked up a can of paint and poured it into my concrete, I'm putting a wild card in there. And that wild card as a direct reflection, not again, we're talking about concrete strengths, but that's not really the problem. Okay, so so you made weak concrete, whatever that means, 200 psi concrete. Well, what is that? You know, and my coffee cup don't fall through my wood table. Yeah, you walk up your stairs, you're not falling through the yeah, stairs. Right? Yeah. So that's not really what the issue is. That the ultimate end issue is that people who when you're when they're on this and we call it the sealer of the month club, wondering why whatever sealer they applied stays sticky and tacky so long or why was it so soft. And when I, I'm not saying this across the board, maybe it only happens two out of 10 projects. Like I, I don't know what I did different. Well, you probably didn't do anything different. The problem is in the, that wild card that you threw into your concrete that you think you did for all the right reasons that's the one that has an uncontrolled end issue against the sealers that, that are being used. Yeah. And, you know, and we address it and yep. maybe that makes us a bad guy. I don't know. But, um, I mean, I, I've seen that directly and how it's impacted ICT technology. I'll watch people and still today will swear up and down about ICT and then others like, mm, no, I, you know, it just didn't seem to work with oils or whatever the case may be. And then I come back to their concrete and it, the story at that end was very universally the same. You know, they believed that they didn't have to cure it. They believed they were told by, you know, a course or a YouTube channel or whatever the case may be that this was unnecessary and it didn't need it. And so ultimately it has to be a sealer problem when it's not a sealer problem. And, and I mean, I all just sealers. don't get it, but I did it. And I don't understand the psychology behind it of yeah, fighting against curing the concrete. It's not difficult. It's not cost prohibitive. It only costs no, you, you know, 20, 30 bucks in materials. The first time you buy them, a couple packing blankets and some plastic, right? It's not expensive. No. I don't get it, dude. I don't get no, it. No, it's just different. Yeah. I think it's just different. And at the end of the day, or once again, here, here we are both in a podcast, whether we're writing about it, whether we're doing it on a, a design school course and with attendees and everything, uh, we're focused on it where other people aren't. I, I think that's part of it, which then maybe makes us things like, you know, that we're the combatants or, you know, whatever. So a couple things. One is we are the only company selling products to the industry from guys that actually work in the industry today actively. So True. we're the only company that do that. Everybody else now has transitioned to just sales. And um, there's a difference. I mean, you and I, we still have a, a vested interest in making the best products we can for our clients with the best materials that, that are available because that's how we still provide for our families. So it's a very important thing. But you, you mentioned Sherwin-Williams and... Uh, it's funny because we're towards the end of the podcast now, so we can kind of transition to our little our little bitch fest here. <laughs> so okay, where so, are we going? Okay, with this? so Sherwin Williams, I have a great analogy here that I was thinking about earlier this week because I had to get paint. Is you know people they they seem to get really butt hurt, really butt hurt on social media that we've said that our mix is the best, which it is. And mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I don't know how else to say it besides just saying it. But people get really upset. How dare you say it's the best? Ah! Mm. It's like, but yeah. it is, bro. It is. But when you yeah. go and then they'll say, well, materials don't matter. That's what yeah. you make with the materials that matter. Okay. But when you go to paint your house, you own your house. You're not, it's not, it's not some trap house someplace. It's not some crappy rental. It's your house that you live in with your wife and your kids and you, you're going to paint it. 
when you go to Sherwin-Williams to get the paint, do you get the cheapest paint they have or do you get the more expensive, more durable paint that has hardeners in it and color fastness ingredients and all these different things and it goes on thicker and you don't have to do four coats. You can do a coat and a half. You get the higher grade paint. And in that yeah. case, you're not saying, well, the paint doesn't matter. It's what I paint with it that matters. You're like, no, the paint right. matters, bro. Yeah, the, the paint, paint matters. matters. So you want to use a highest quality paint. So why is it? And I know what it is, but why is it that in this industry that when we say materials matter and mm -hmm. that your concrete materials matter to the quality of your end product. No, it doesn't. Ah! You're like, bro, well, that's a, yeah, why that's are you upset about this? That's an analogy yeah. and, and pretty spot on because following that same path, if I go down to, and it is sure when Williams that they have, or no, they have Kelly Moore, excuse me, Kelly Moore in Angel's Camp at the local Ace Hardware, they do Kelly Moore. And there's like, I think there's three levels or four grades of paint, right? And the grade of, you know, maybe contractor grade or, and so forth and so on. And as those quality of that material escalates in price, and not by much, mind you, but escalates in price, you have a premium product, a mid product and a low end product. And they have no problem telling you that, you know, this product may last five years and this one's designed to last 25 years or, you know, much like roofing on your house, I guess, or any of these kind of things. And I just saw recently where the same idea, someone actually got upset at some advertisement that someone put out and like, you know, how condescending that is oh, you're talking about you my to advertising. discuss yeah. things based yeah. on different grades. Yeah. Well, well that's, here's that's what I, beyond me. Yeah. But let me, let me, cause there's a lot that. of people that may not have seen that, that post. I made a post essentially saying that if you want to learn how to make your own from scratch mix, cause that's always kind of been another quasi dig at us, you know, like just make your own from scratch. I wrote an article in 2008 for concrete decor, the article that got everybody onto GFRC to begin with on how to make your own mix. That, you can Google it. Sure. Google Concrete Decor, GFRC, Brandon Gore. The article popped right up. You can read it. Make that mix. I made that mix for 10 years. And that's still the mix that a lot of people use or a derivative of that mix. They maybe got a different polymer. They may have gone from Medicalin to VCAS, whatever it is, but they're still making a derivative of that original mix. And all those mixes have some level of surface quality issues in comparison to what we're doing with Kodiak Pro. So if you cast this sure. and you cast that and you put them side by side, there is a difference. Now, I'm saying maybe that's important to you. Maybe it's not. And I get it when it's not. But mm -hmm. me saying that there's a difference doesn't make me the bad guy. And it doesn't mean that what you're doing is bad. You know? It's just saying well, there's a difference. And if it's not what you're interested in, it shouldn't be taken as an insult. Because exactly. using the paint idea, if my interest is just to paint my house and I don't want the 25-year and perfectly happy with the 15 well, that doesn't make you a bad guy. You know, I mean, that's not an insult to you. So, you know, put your contractor grade on and, and move on. Like, yeah. like some house is literally around the corner from me. And I know the contractor that three years later, all the Southern exposures are all faded away. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm telling you faded. So there's no question what end of the paint quality line they painted these homes from. And, you know, it is what it is. But when you want to do the best, if you want to do the best you can, there's there's different levels of materials. And yeah. like you're saying, for me personally, you know, I'm remodeling this this shop space and the previous owners of that building have gone and got the cheapest paint. Seriously, got the cheapest paint, painted a metal building again and again and again. And I pressure sure. washed off, I don't know how many layers of cheap paint. And when I went to Sherwin-Williams, I got their DTM, their, their direct-to-metal paint. It's like three times more expensive than normal paint, but it's designed to bond to metal. So it doesn't come off like this. So it doesn't peel off. But there's a price for that. And for me, I want to have the best end product. And so I'm willing to pay for it. But I don't get mad at the cheap paint. I'm not like, oh, cheap paint. Or I don't get mad at the Sherwin-Williams guy that says, hey, there's different levels here. How dare you say there's different levels? Yeah. yeah. You're insulting yeah. me by saying there's a better version of this. It's insulting. No, it's not insulting. We're just commenting. You know, uh, I, I had this other thought earlier today uh, on the same train of burgers. Okay. So, you know, there's times that I don't feel like going to the fancy restaurant that makes the Wagyu grass-fed organic burger 
that is $25. Sometimes I'm just going to go to the McDonald's drive-thru and get a quarter pounder with cheese. You know, that's three bucks. Sure. And I know what I'm getting. Yeah, yeah. I'm not getting Wagyu organic grass-fed, you know, beautiful arugula lettuce. and uh, I'm not getting any of that. I'm getting pretty much dog meat on a bun with some pickles. <laughs> and it is what it is. And I'm content that. with that. And I don't get upset. I don't get upset. I don't then drive over to the nice restaurant that has the highest quality. They probably say, we have the best burger in town. Oh, oh no. you have the best? How dare you? How dare you say you How have the best? arrogant of you. Oh, yo, you're the antichrist. You said you have the best. And I have McDonald's and I support McDonald's and I cannot support you because you say you have the best. Just like, dude relax. There's levels yeah, to this. An interesting time. You don't have to have the best level. There's times when I'm okay. Not with the best. I get it. But don't be mad when somebody says we have the highest quality, whatever it is. They're not hurting you and it's not an attack at you. It's and just it's okay. Yeah. It's not personal. Yeah, yeah. It's just facts. And so when I say we have the best product possible and people are like, Oh, that's so arrogant, bro. I don't know how else to say it. I understand the psychology of people don't like to hear that you have the best product. I get it. I try not to say it that way sure. because I know people are very yeah. sensitive to this, but the fact right. at the end of the day is I a thousand percent believe as somebody that does this for a living, that the products we have are revolutionary and they are the best. And I'm sorry that I say it that way. I wish there was a different way to say it, but I don't know how. You gotta do a different language. Well, as long as we're on this for a minute, <laughs> and I'm gonna do this, right? But I'm gonna do this Dude, one nicely. I think my dogs are freaked out. I was like going on a whole thing there. <laughs> <Getting all worked. laughs> uh, so those people listening uh, to the podcast, well, they they stop listening now. I know they're, 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 uh, there's it off. there's some craziness going on. Um, I just want everybody to know we're aware of it. And I want to apologize to anybody who's using Kodiak-based products who have been contacted, whether that be called or Instagram posts or whatever the case may be, by some some individuals that are, um, I don't know, disgruntled for one reason or another per some of the stuff we just discussed, like because they don't like the language or they don't like the color of the bag or they don't like bears or... I don't know, just, and this is nothing personally, even against those guys or these people that have been doing this is Brandon and I out of life, we, we understand there are people out there with, uh, mental issues. Um, and you know, and I could, without throwing names, I know people who have, you know, needed to have wellness checks and these kind of things. And, and, uh, the mental stuff is real. We address that, and and I really hope moving forward that those people who did get contacted, again, don't take it personally. Um, realize that the you know people are struggling with whether it's an addiction or mental. But listen, um, knock it off, uh, knock it off, dummies. We know what you're doing. Don't do it anymore. No, what? <laughs> please stop it. Please stop it. it. It's not. It's not beneficial. It's not helping anybody. It we is, we it's, it's, we know we know what's going on. We know who's doing it. Right. Yeah, knock it off, please. Yeah, yeah please stop it. But that, that could be said for any of it. Um, so anyway, yeah. So what else? I know John? that's not all necessarily concrete related, but I guess it is. Well, it's been two and a half weeks. We got some pent up things to talk about. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about me, like my dogs looking at me like I'm crazy because I'm over here, like my arms flying around. Ah! Like, what is going on here? <laughs> I don't know, man. I the only thing I can do is giggle about it. I literally had a, a great conversation this morning with somebody who, to the best of his ability, tried to stay out of it, but still got himself interjected into it somehow. And in that conversation, we both just like, well, how did you get there? And he's like, I just, I don't know. Geez, how did I get there? Like, why? I'm like, honestly, I don't know either. And, but it's, it's again, right. We're all human. You know, we have emotions and sometimes they get the better of us, but. But um, here's the deal. Here's what I want to say is it seems, and I think it's just the times we're living in. People take things so ultra personal. There's, there, there was like this, uh, what was it that the, the secret, not the secret, the four agreements, right? Hmm. The four agreements, that book that's really famous. But one of them is 
don't take anything personal. It's not about you, right? Right. 99.99% of the time, whatever it is your feelings attacking you, it has nothing to do with you. Like Correct. you're, you're internalizing it. You're like looking through the prism of your reality and you're like, Oh, these guys are throwing me under the bus. No, we're not. We're not throwing anybody no. under the bus by us saying we have the best product. And that's not even just like puffing our chest up and, and, and peacocking around. It's like, I truly believe. And that's, that's the hard part with this is because we're so close to it in the sense that we use this on a daily basis and we have such experience with other products and other technologies and we know the difference and we have a perspective for the difference. That's very hard for me to speak about these products in a way that doesn't seem that way. And I apologize for that because I'm trying to figure out different ways to convey the message without triggering people to feel defensive about it because I don't want people to feel like what I'm saying means what they're doing is wrong. I'm not saying that in any way. I'm just saying if you want to use ingredients that are of the highest caliber and yield the best end result, whatever that means for you, density, strength, color fastness, uh, stain resistance, you know, there's a lot of different things that people will judge on that. But in my opinion, that product would be what, what we're making. And the last part of this, well, hang on. I want to add something to this because okay. <clears throat> here's the hard thing being on the other side. Well, maybe again, we're on the edge, right? Like you're talking about the coin, you know, we're on the edge is we're, we're, we see both sides. get these. Yeah. We get these amazing uh, pictures from various people. Um, I'm not going to use his name, but even recently, one of the guys in Canada who's making, I don't know how to describe it, a very, very cool end table. Much like uh, trying to compare it to somebody else, uh, I've talked about Remick, the Witchy-Mitchy, or however you say his last name, um, his cool box chair. Witchy-Mitchy? You know? What? Right? How's it? Ewok, right? It's an Ewok. 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 Yeah, that's what it is. Um, anyway, this really, really cool end table, and the same, if you can picture it, it's, it's like a four-sided box half inch, three quarter inch thick. But so when he, when he pours this, when he makes the t table, you know, think of this mold, it's got an internal and external mold. And he's, he's pouring down a, literally I'm in home right now and a cat's knocking stuff. Who wants attention? <laughs> it's just cat being bang. cat. That's what cats do. They knock yeah, stuff over. <laughs> so, um, you know, picture he's pouring down this mold, this thin slot all the way around and it appears, I didn't ask them specifically, but it's about 18 to 22 inches deep all the way around. And he was so happy because we poured stuff with the same maker mix. And he sent me pictures with other things that he's had available to cast with. And, you know, nothing we haven't seen a hundred times, big bug holes and these kind of things that he's used to. And he poured it with makers and just blown because it's just like super clean, what he's been looking for. And like a lot of the, where I'm going with this is, you know, I feel most of, they send me the pictures like John, yeah, post it. That's fantastic. And I'm like, and then I have this hesitation to post it because like, Oh geez, are, are, are this going to inflame people simply because I'm showing that, you know, the, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just, it's a weird, it's a weird time. It is a weird it's just time. weird. Yeah. What well, I was going to say, because I, I wait to talk, John. I don't listen to anything you say. I just wait to talk. There are... Are you still there? John? John, boy. John. I'm <laughs> sorry, man. I literally hit mute so I could get up. Uh, and you got to get that cat. Things up. I, thought, I thought we lost connection here. Knock. That <laughs> damn cat. Counter. Sorry, man. And then I'm hoofing back here. I'm like, oh. <laughs> John, <laughs> John boy. Uh, what I was going to say are is, you, you know, there, there are a lot of companies that are just repackaging and I get sure. it. You know, you're trying to make a living. You don't, you don't make concrete for customers. Sure. And so what do you do? Well, you sell product and you don't make the product. You're not manufacturing polymer. You don't have anything to do with that. You're just buying a polymer out of a bucket. You're dumping it in a different bucket. You're stopping a label on it. You're calling it whatever. And you're putting a markup on it. And you're a middleman now and you're getting your profit margin on the in-between, right? I get sure. it. Whatever. And in that instance, those people are salesmen. They're, they're selling a product. But I see some digs from time to time from people are like, oh, you're just salesmen. You guys are just salesmen. Dude, we're not repackaging yeah. anything. These are truly unique materials that do not exist anywhere else. 
that we have manufactured to our spec. These are blended from scratch. These materials. So when when I see that, I'm like, no, dude, these don't exist. Mm -hmm. This we're the only people in the world that sell this product. Nobody sells this product. This isn't relayable. This isn't repackaged. You know, we're not repackaging federal white cement exactly and selling it under our own label called you know kodiak white cement so i just want to yeah, make that I clear mean, because I, I see that again it's like one of these like kind of uh, diminishing things people try to say oh you're just salesman you're just it's just gfrc mm-hmm. oh it's just the same thing just mm-hmm. add water and it's like well a you've never used this you don't know what you're talking about but b this is a completely innovative and unique technology that doesn't exist anywhere else. And that's an absolute fact. Yeah. And the, the amazing things is, as people using these materials continues to grow, you're, they're doing it right. I mean, they, you know, it's, it's uh, I can't, humbled. I'm still going to use the word humbled. I love people sending me the, you know, the projects they're doing, the the new levels of their business, the, you know, all these things and, and being a part of that is, is so humbling. Yep. It's, it's great. So it's to know you're doing it right. You know that, you know, your reasons for getting those materials. It's often expressed to me. Uh, it's great. And yeah. it's great to be a part of this um, and still navigating. What What's great about this customer base is I'm just going to say they're not the ones doing it, which is Again, I, I don't understand it, but again, these uh, this customer base is not reaching out and being disparaging by, or telling people like, not to use I used to product. use this too, and you're yeah. an idiot if you're still using that. And yeah, it's just such a, it's so strange. Um, it means we're doing something right, John. That's what it means. It means we're we're doing yeah, something right. I mean, it we're, really does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I want to hit something real quick, and we'll wrap this up because we've been talking for a while. I just checked my email and somebody hit me up in Slovakia that wants to know where they can get Kodiak Pro. I'm going to email back Martin's information, but anybody listening, if you're in Europe, your contact is going to be Decorative. Is it Decorative Concrete? What's the name of the company? Designer Concrete, right? Designer. Designer. Designer Let me me type in my email. Designer Concrete Supplies Limited. And Martin... And Ashley are going to be who you talk to. Here, let me see. Design, where is designer? Here we go. Designer Concrete Supplies Limited. Their website is designerconcretesupplies.co.uk. So that's who you want to talk to. And they're getting ready to restock. They're getting ready to place another order. So they just got product in. They're placing another order. So they'll have uh, more stock headed their way. So yeah, there you go. If you're in Europe, that's who you talk to. Yeah. In Australia, it's called In The Mix. Sammy Yarvella, same thing. Years and years in the industry. He can, um, yeah, he'll, he'll sort you out. Awesome. Okay, John. Anything else? No. You're going to talk about the workshop coming up? Oh, yeah. The workshop. I forgot about out? it. Uh, six weeks? Six weeks out? Something like that. Yeah, it's coming up. Uh, so, yeah, we have the Concrete Heroes Quest. In Napa, California, it's at Joe Bates' shop. Joe Bates is our distributor in the U.S. for less than pallet quantities. So hit up Joe Bates if you need. Um, well, now we actually have half pallets available through right. through us. But if you need less than a half pallet, hit up Joe Bates. He can help you out. But yeah, so the Concrete Heroes Quest is going to be three and a half days. We're casting a very complex post-tension concrete conference table. It's going to be GFRC sprayed, SEC, troweled. It's going to be a bunch of different techniques, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a fun class. It's going to be a real deep dive on the subject and a lot of time for discussion and just a really good time. I think we're up to 19 or 20 attendees now. We've had a few more this last week register. So I want to say at least 20. Um, we cap it at 30, so we're getting close to being sold out. So if you want to register, go to ConcreteDesignSchool.com, and you can click the very top. You'll see a, a link at the top to the Concrete Heroes Quest, and I hope to see you there. April 26th through the 29th. I didn't mention the dates. April 26th to the 29th. Anything else? Awesome. Yeah. No, that was that. I know. I, I mean, I told you this. I've actually in, invited a few people in California to come hook up with, at the end at the very, very end, just to say hi to everybody. 
like, uh, literally had a conversation day with uh, Buddy. Mm. So, yeah, or he may came out the, uh, the day because you're coming out a few days early, right? Or we're both going down a few days early to. I think been there so, one day early. I one think, day early. Yeah. and then my flight out is literally at eleven fifty nine p.m. is when it departs. God. I know. It, it, the flights out of Sacramento are the worst, man. It's either it leaves at 7 a.m. or it leaves at midnight. There's like nothing That's in between. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. crazy. That's why I, when I come out to your place, it was always, like I told you, I mean, I have to leave my place at 1 o'clock in the morning because they're always super early flights. Yeah. 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 Cool, or man. the red eyes. Yep. All right, buddy. Well, hopefully we don't go another two and a half weeks between podcasts. We'll try to do one um, next week some point. Sounds great. All right, man. Always good talking to you. Adios, amigo. Adios.